Faith Talk 570 WTBN, Pinellas Park. Online at letstalkfaith.com. A service of the Salem Media. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Notice 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. See, it is not enough for a person to say they believe in God in general, but in their religion, they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, or they do not accept that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He's just a prophet. We come along, we say to those people, lovingly, graciously, but we say it with the dogmatic attitude of Scripture that you must believe in the Son of of God because eternal life is in the Son and there is salvation in no one else. Michael Corcoras, in his book Evangelism, A Biblical Approach, told about a dialogue he once had with a group of high school students. They would ask questions and he would try to answer them. Toward the end of that session, a girl asked, The Bible says God loves everybody. Then it says that God sends people to hell. How can a loving God do that? Well, Corcoras answered, She responded, and he answered again, and before long it began to devolve into an argument that left her unconvinced. Afterward, he apologized for allowing it to become so argumentative. He asked if he could share something with her, and she said yes. So he gave her a basic presentation of the gospel. And when he came to Romans 3.23 and told her, We are all sinners, she began to cry. She admitted that she was having an affair with a married man, She didn't believe in hell because she knew in her heart that she had been sinning. And rather than face her guilt, she simply denied that there would be any future judgment or punishment. It was then that she surrendered, confessed, and put her faith in the Lord Jesus. It's never pleasant for a doctor to inform a patient that that patient has a disease which, if not treated, will kill them. But it is necessary. The same is true of telling a person that they are lost. It takes tact and grace and more than a little courage, but it's also very necessary. I'm glad you're here today for Verse by Verse and the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's series of lessons about the nature of the church. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. I'll have some information for you at the end of our broadcast in case you're in Clearwater and looking for a church home. Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16 that whatever Peter bound on earth would have already been bound in heaven, and what he loosed on earth would already have been loosed in heaven. As we've learned in previous classes, that meant that Peter would be able to know and declare who was saved and who was not. He wouldn't be the judge. He'd simply point out what had already been determined in heaven. We saw that that is how we today can help people find assurance of their faith. That's the pleasant side, the loosing part of Jesus' statement. But there is a flip side, and Pastor Steve will get to that right now. Now, a second ramification and implication that emerges from our Lord's words to Peter about binding and loosing the sins of people is that Christians should never be hesitant to tell an unbeliever that they are not a part of God's kingdom. We can tell believers they are, but we also can tell unbelievers they are not. I realize that that's sometimes awkward and uncomfortable, but they need to know this. They need to know this. And I recognize that there are some believers who have very difficult times saying that someone is lost. There are some Christian leaders 
who appear on such shows as Larry King Live, who never want to admit that anyone is lost, lest they come across as sounding self-righteous and judgmental, negative, narrow-minded, and so they'll say, well, I I can't really say that, Larry. I I can't say whether someone is saying, sure you can, sure you can. The Bible tells us that those who have not trusted in Christ as the God-man and his finished work on the cross are lost and on their way to hell. You didn't make that up. That's what the Bible says. Notice how dogmatic scripture is about this. This There are no gray areas when it comes to this. It's either black or white. You're either a Christian or you're not a Christian. Now, I understand someone who professes to be a believer. We might be very hesitant to say, well, I don't know their hearts. But we're talking about people who outright reject the gospel. You can say they're lost. They've never been forgiven. Jesus said this, John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. I think that's rather clear. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. I think that's rather clear too. The wrath of God abides on him. And the implication is if he dies in his sins with the wrath of God upon him, he experiences the wrath of God all of his days, which means for eternity in hell. Jesus also said to not just people in general, but to the religious Jewish leaders in John eight twenty four, you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Speaking about dying and never being forgiven. They die with sins on their record. Notice once again, if you'll turn to 1 John chapter 5, the verses that led up to verse 13 are very instructive. 1 John chapter 5, 11 and 12, John said, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and note this, this life is in his Son. It's not in a belief in God in general. This life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. That's pretty clear and pretty dogmatic. And then notice 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whoever denies the son does not have the father. And the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. See, it is not enough for a person to say they believe in God in general, but in their religion they do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah or they do not accept that Jesus Christ is the divine Son of God. He's just a prophet. We come along, we say to those people lovingly, graciously, but we say it, with the dogmatic attitude of Scripture that you must believe in the Son of God because eternal life is in the Son and there is salvation in no one else. That's what Peter said, Acts 4, 12. There is no other name given amongst men apart from the name of Jesus whereby we must be saved. That's the way it was then. That's the way it is now. So don't be hesitant to declare that an unbeliever is lost and unforgiven. Our Lord did it, and he has given us the authority to make dogmatic declarations like this without being the least bit arrogant, the least bit sinfully judgmental. We're just echoing what heaven has said. Here's how John MacArthur in his commentary on Matthew explains how Christ's words to Peter apply to all Christians today. He writes, if a person declares himself to be an atheist or to be anything other 
than a believer in and lover of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christians can say to that person with absolute certainty, you are under God's judgment and condemned to hell. Because this is what scripture teaches. If, on the other hand, the person testifies that he has trusted Christ as his saving Lord, Christians can say to him with equal certainty, If what you say is true, then your sins are forgiven. You are a child of God and your eternal destiny is heaven. He writes, The authority of the church lies in the fact that it has heaven's word on everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. He's quoting from 2 Peter 1.3. He writes, When believers are in agreement with God's word, God is in agreement with them. Believers can declare a person's spiritual state with divinely granted authority by comparing that person to the word of God, end of quote. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So don't hesitate to tell people who are lost that they're lost. A third application of the truth about binding and loosing is that church discipline plays an important and key role in carrying out the biblical, this biblical principle of declaring who's in the kingdom and who is not. Let me have you turn once again to Matthew 18. That is the passage on church discipline. I realize that today uh, very few churches practice church discipline, but scripture teaches it. And therefore it is sinful, wicked, and wrong for a local church to disregard this. At Lakeside, we practice this. We will uh, discipline someone, a member of the church, if they are not repentant, if we've gone through the procedure, the process of church discipline, uh, and they still don't repent, we will address this, usually at the Lord's Supper. See, it is actually a great disservice to the people of the church not to practice church discipline. Why? Well, notice again Matthew 18, specifically verses 17 and 18. Jesus said, After you've gone to this person once, he doesn't repent. You go to him with two or three, you take back, you you go back to that person, they still don't repent. Then he said, in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That means the entire body. You, You make it public. It's a public disclosure. We wanted to deal with it in private, but the person didn't repent in private, so now we're telling the whole church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church as the church, people now confront that person and call them to repentance if he still refuses to listen to them. And that's a hardened heart. This is the third time he's being approached or she's being approached. Then Jesus said, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, a tax gatherer. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Based on what we read here, we see that one of the purposes, not the only purpose, but one of the purposes for practicing church discipline is to help an unrepentant but professing church member realize that he's not saved. He thinks he is, but he's not saved. And that his profession of faith in Christ is an empty profession. It's not genuine. Why do we say it's not genuine? Listen, because we've We've already confronted this person several times. He's acting like an unbeliever. Unbelievers don't repent. So now we're going to treat him as an unbeliever. We're going to treat him like a Gentile and a tax collector, meaning treat them as unbelievers. How do you treat an unbeliever? You're loving to them. You're kind to them. You try to evangelize them. That's how you treat an unbeliever. 
See, if we fail to address unrepentant sinners who are members of the church, then we give those unbelievers in the church the false impression that they're Christians. They're real Christians when they aren't real Christians. Now, we can't read their hearts, but we can sure read their behavior. And their behavior tells us that they're acting like unbelievers. So all we can conclude, because we can only see the evidence, is that we're going to treat you as an unbeliever. We're not going to consider you as someone who's saved. When we see you, we're going to try to evangelize you by telling you that you need to be forgiven of your sins in Christ. But if, if sin is never addressed in the church, then we only encourage unbelievers to continue deceiving themselves by thinking that they're believers. That's a grave mistake. Well, I, I prayed when I was five, and then I was baptized, so now I, I know I'm a believer. Yeah, but you're, you're 40 years old now. There's no evidence in your life. Or now you are, you are sinning in such a way that is so disregarding of Scripture, and we've come to you time and again, and you won't repent. Why? Because you're not interested in obedience. You have fooled people all these years. We're telling you the truth. You're not a believer. So I want you to know at Lakeside, we are committed to practicing church discipline, not only for the purity of our church, but for the sake of those in our midst who are lost, but think they're saved, and they need to be made aware of their lostness. Folks, the point of our Lord's final words to Peter about the nature of the church is that he has given the church heaven's authority to declare who has entered his kingdom and who at least at this point, has been excluded from it. And it's all based on what a person professes to believe about Jesus Christ. We tell those who believe in him that based on the authority of Scripture, your sins have been loosed and forgiven in heaven. We tell those who reject Christ that, once again, based on the authority of Scripture, you're still bound in your sins and you still need to be forgiven in heaven. So based on all that we've been studying about the nature of the church, when you look at the big picture, we see that it is totally Christ-centered. It is not man-centered. It is Christ-centered. Notice the progression of thought. First, we come into the church believing the rock-like foundational message of the gospel about Jesus Christ. The firm foundation is the word of God. It's about Christ. Then, once we belong to the church, we are committed to obeying Christ's word as he rules over us as our Lord and Savior. We belong to him. And as his followers, we now are willing to lay down our lives for his sake because we know that the gates of Hades will never overpower us. We will be raised from the dead. So in obedience to Christ, even if someone takes our lives, we still obey him because we're not afraid of death since the gates of Hades will not overcome us. But we are not content to simply know Christ ourselves. We want others to know him. So the door to the kingdom that Peter opened to the world in the first century, we declare to others it's still open to those who come to him for salvation. And we invite them to come to Christ. We proclaim the gospel to them. And when someone does profess faith in Christ, we tell them that God, based on what they've done, if this is real in their lives, that God has forgiven their sins. And when someone outright rejects Christ, we also tell them that their sins have not been forgiven because that's what the Bible says. See, the life, the message, the ministry of the church, it's all about Jesus Christ, all about him, faith in him, obedience to him, forgiveness of sins based 
on what he's done, his death on the cross. So it is a curious thing to discover that after Jesus finished telling Peter and the other apostles who were listening to all of this about the nature of the church and the importance of having faith in him as the Christ, the son of the living God, it's curious that he would tell them, but don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Notice verse 20. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, why would Jesus say this? Why would he say this? Peter has just confessed him as the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus has taught, that's true, and here's what I'm going to do with the church. But he said, but don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Well, let me say this. Certainly, the Lord didn't say this to prevent people from believing in him. He wanted people to believe in him. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. But he said this to prevent people from believing in him for the wrong reason and for believing the wrong thing about him. You see, in that day and age in Israel, their concept of the Messiah was not as one who would die for the sins of the world. They should have known that because the Old Testament says that. But their concept of the Messiah at this point was of a political king, a warrior who would come and deliver them from Gentile oppression. And even the disciples believed that about Jesus at this point. When they said, and we'll see more of this when we study this again, the next passage of scripture, but when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and we would presume that all the apostles agreed with him, their view of the Christ was different than the real way that Jesus is. Their view is just like the people of their day, a political warrior king. Jesus didn't want them telling people that. That's not the truth. If they did that, they they would have only had people gravitate to Jesus because of politics. That's not what he was about. See, the Lord wanted those who believed in him to believe the truth about him, that he was the one who would save them from their sin and not from the grip of Rome. So he said, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ. Understand this, after his death and resurrection, these men would understand who he was. They would understand the importance of his death and burial and resurrection, and they would understand what kind of a Messiah he really was. And so it would be obvious that he wasn't a political king. Political kings don't die that way. But for right now, they were to remain silent. But we're not silent. We proclaim the gospel today. And that's the message that we still proclaim to you. If you come to Christ in repentance, trusting him as your savior, your saving Lord, he will forgive all of your sins completely. Past, present, and future. Judicial forgiveness. So I ask you, have you ever trusted Christ that way? Have you repented of your sin? Not, not just prayed a prayer, Jesus come into my heart, or walked an aisle, and some counselor prayed with you in church. You didn't know what you were doing, but you you did that. Or you, you knelt by your bed with mom and dad because it was pleasing to mom and dad. And all your friends were saying that they were accepting Christ. I'm talking about, have you ever really seen how wicked you are and that you deserve God's judgment and you are grieved in your heart over your sin? There's remorse. But more than remorse, there is a desire to forsake your sin, to not live the way you've been living. If that's the case, that's repentance. You need to repent of your sin and with humility, brokenness, trust Christ as your saving Lord. 
And if that's the case, then we declare to you that on the authority of God's word, that your sins have been forgiven. If that's the case, if you've truly repented. If not, if you're just plain church and you're plain Christian, but you know in your heart you have no interest in obedience. You're just here for whatever reason, obligation, to look good, to give an appearance. And we say to you, you still need to repent and trust Christ. If you don't do that and you die in this state, then you will go into eternity unforgiven, which means eternal torment in hell. Let's bow for prayer. If you have never trusted Christ on the terms that the Bible speaks of trusting him, repentance, faith, humility, submission to his lordship, then I urge you to do that. Don't let another day go by without trusting Christ because you don't know what a day will bring. You could be ushered into eternity today and then it's too late. If you're a believer who is struggling with assurance, then you can rest on the authority of God's word. If we can be of any help, personal counseling, let us know. Give the office a call. We'll, we'll sit down with you or we'll have somebody sit with you and go through the scriptures and help you to have assurance of salvation. If you're a believer, though, you need to help others in this. All believers are called to do this. We help others, help them to know that they can know that they have eternal life and help others to know who have never trusted Christ, outright reject him. They need to know that they're still unforgiven, but they can be forgiven and then proclaim the gospel to them. Father, thank you of allowing us as a church family to study this precious, magnificent passage of Scripture. Lord, as we close this study, may our hearts remain open to the truth. May these truths continue to dwell in us richly, affect the way we live as individuals, the way we live as a church body of believers at Lakeside. I pray, Lord, for those who know you, that they'll know that they know you, and that they will receive heaven's declaration that their sins have been forgiven. I pray for those who really don't know you, Lord. Maybe they're even members of the church. Maybe they're a part of of the church in some way. Everyone thinks that they're believers, but they're not. I pray that you would prick their conscience. I pray that you would bring conviction to their hearts and they will humble themselves and truly trust you as Lord and Savior. So, Father, take these words and may they lodge in our hearts and continue to echo out in our obedience to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was in my mid-teens, I asked my mother how a person got to heaven. Her reply nearly knocked me down. She said that you have to do more good things than bad things. Well, have you thought about how terrifying that is? I thought I was a decent kid, but I knew that if what mom had said was true, I was in a ton of trouble. I knew, first of all, that I had done a lot of stuff that I didn't think God would like. And how could I know if what I did would be good or bad to God? And even if I did know, how would I ever keep track of them all? Well, praise the Lord that he led me to a friend who showed me how to find the real answers to the questions that were making my stomach churn. The answers were in the Bible. And with God's help and some godly advice from others, I learned that there is no other way to salvation than through a repentant, trusting faith in the Lord Jesus. Nothing good that I can do will ever atone for the wrong, but the blood of Jesus is more than enough. If you've just made that discovery, I hope you'll tell someone. In fact, I'll have a number in just a moment that you can call if you want to do that right away. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. 
Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel has just finished a series of lessons about the nature of the church. Lakeside is in Clearwater, Florida at 1893 Sunset Point Road. If you're in the area on a Sunday morning, why not come in and worship at Lakeside? Find out more at lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to listen again to today's broadcast or hear any of our previous programs, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. All of our broadcasts are available at no charge. I would like to remind you, though, that we do incur charges for the production and airing of these radio Bible classes. We're deeply grateful to our supporters, and if you'd like to help with those costs above and beyond your regular church giving, we would be encouraged. We try to make it easy on our website. Just click on the giving link to learn more. That's versebyverseradio.org. And could I suggest that if you've been blessed by Verse by Verse, perhaps you'd like to call the management of this radio station and let them know about it. I've been in their place, and when a listener called to thank us for a program, it really made my day. Today's program concludes this series on the nature of the church, and it's the final part of a three-part message. Here's the number to call if you'd like to have a free CD with the entire message and without the announcements. It's 727-239-0306. That's also the number to call if you'd like to talk with someone about salvation. 727-239-0306. 